Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today I'm welcoming Reverend Dr. Don Weeks to the show. Don is the author of Breakthrough Trusting God for Big Change in Your Church which we'll be talking about here shortly, and Travel Guide to the Christian Faith, along with many other published articles and sermons. Her BA is from Baylor University, her MDiv from Bright Divinity School at TCU, and her DMIN from St. Paul School of Theology. She is ordained in the Southern Baptist Church before becoming a Disciples of Christ minister. She has pastored churches in Texas and Missouri, and is currently co-pastor at Connection Christian Church Disciples of Christ, along with her husband, Joe. Connection is the third century-old congregation she has led to discover bold, new purpose in ministry. All right, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today I'm joined by Reverend Dr. Don Weeks. Don, thanks so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me, Lauren. Yeah, it's great to... Great to talk to you. So for our listeners today, we got a little bit of uh, stuff going on in my house, so forgive any background noise. Uh, but Don, thanks so much for being here. Share, if you would, anything else you'd like to talk about with our, our audience today. Well, if we hear any children noises, I just want to say what I say to my church. That's the sign of life and vitality. Yay, yeah. kids. <laughs> um, I, I am a pastor in West Texas, as you all already know privilege to worship and lead with one of the best congregations that uh, I know of and love to lift up our lay leaders uh, because they are, they are, I like to say, it's not uh, great pastors that make a great church, but great churches that make great pastors. So yeah. I hope some of that comes out in our story today. Great churches make great pastors. Not great pastors make great churches. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, share, if you would, kind of about your faith journey um, in your bio, for instance. You grew up Baptist, I think, Southern <laughs> yeah. Baptist. Yes, I grew up. Yourself. I grew up as a basically a Texas Baptist and um, was called to ministry when I was fourteen. Fortunate enough to be in a congregation in the Dallas area that um, that affirmed women's gifts and ordained me for ministry. But my calling was to preaching. And hmm. that was not available to me uh, 30 hmm. years ago. So um, I became a Disciples of Christ pastor in 1999, a little church in the panhandle of Texas called First Christian Church Miami. Uh, it's spelled Miami, but they they say Miami. Yeah. Um, and they called me to be their pastor, um, and just I could never look back. And once I had the freedom to preach um, and be, be the— the lead pastor in a congregation, um, they gave me those wings, and I have loved my 30 years so far of doing that. That's awesome. Um, what is What would you say perhaps is most different between now and then in your faith? My faith has grown in grace for myself and grace for others. 
I was very um, I, I was very performance oriented in my young adult years. Uh, I thought God's will was on a uh, map on a wall in heaven, and I was being carefully uh, watched yeah. to see if I followed the map properly. Yeah. And then I had a wonderful spiritual mentor who was a Methodist say to me. I think a good parent says, oh, I've given you all these opportunities. Which one will you choose? Hmm. And that kind of blew my mind that God would be one who was co-creating my life with me with the Holy Spirit's help. And um, and I'm so thankful for that because I get to help a lot of people um, also find grace for themselves, which means more grace for others. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, what is a spiritual practice that has been meaningful for you? I'm a journaler, so um, for my whole adult life, um, I have kept a journal at night where I use that as my prayer time to release the day and let it go. That's my longest standing spiritual practice, um, devotional time in the morning, um, and now I've added some some scripture reading time so that I'm not on my phone before I go to bed. I put yeah. it away and read scripture and then do my yeah. journal. That's good. That's good. Even... Even just for sleep practices, that's good, let alone your spiritual practices, right? Right. Help the brain turn off. Well, I'm excited to talk to Dawn today about her book called Breakthrough, Trusting God for Big Change in Your Church. And maybe before we get into the book, why don't you talk about your church, which is really one of the central uh, themes here in the book. Talk about the story or the backstory, perhaps, of the church you're serving. First Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Odessa, Texas is now 116 years old. When we came, it was 108 years old. And their pillar of this community, one of the first four churches um, to uh, be founded here in our community. Of course, we're in an oil and gas community, and so the boom and bust cycle of that, the church lived through for and continues to live through for over a century. Um, A church that founded things like Meals on Wheels and Habitat for Humanity in our community, so a long, glorious record of community service and being one of the more inclusive churches in town. being a church where Republicans and Democrats came and worshiped together for, you know, for its whole existence. Um, so there were some really special things about the church that that drew us to consider coming here. Uh, I got a call uh, from where we were very happily settled in Kansas City, Missouri, from one of the leaders of the church, and just the way that she was able to articulate what it meant to be, as she said, a Disciples of Christ Church in a Baptist town intrigued hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, who are these people with a clear sense of identity uh, that is fairly unique to the area that they're ministering in? And so eventually that drew us to to uh, come and check out the area, and we really felt a clear sense of God's call to come alongside them. Now talk about kind of the, the dynamics of a church, you know, when you're considering the call. Yes. So I should say I co-pastor with my husband, um, and this is our second congregation to do that in. We were solo pastors in different churches before that. Um, So we were at this point where we'd been nine years in the church 
previously. And so at that point, you begin to think, how how long can I stay appropriately? We always want to have longevity, but not stay so long that we are harming the church's Mm-hmm. future um so that they can bond with another pastor you know that maybe can take them places that we've run out of imagination for so um we were we were asking that question but we weren't ready to move but um when we had this opportunity to consider what drew us when we sat around with this search committee um and in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, it is, you know, it's a dating service mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's baptized. Um, yeah. uh, we felt this sense that they were making a way for a part of the body of Christ that was underrepresented in this area with over a quarter of a million people. Hmm. And so we felt like maybe the gospel um, really needed this church, and we f- felt a sense of the need for our presence more in West Texas than was needed where we were. Hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that really stood out to me reading the book is when you and Joe, Joe, correct, right? Yep. Uh, When you and Joe went down for this search process, uh, one of the first things y'all apparently noticed, and and if I remember correctly, laid out to the search team was, hey, y'all need to think about selling your building. (sighs) So yes. I'm a, I'm a big fan of like scaring off like interviews, yes. interviewees. Like I want them to be like, I want to show them, you know, who I am and then be like, okay, yeah, we're going to stay with this, this guy, for instance, for my sake. But that's a pretty gutsy move to be like, hey, y'all need to think about selling your building. Well, don't give us too much credit because we were happy right where we were and our children were young and we were not going to make a change unless mm. it was confirmed yeah. that they were ready for um for the kind of leadership we wanted to bring. And so we didn't we didn't go there thinking you need to sell your building, but as soon as we saw it and saw the location and saw the condition of the building and saw the diminishing history of this congregation, mm. um they were down to about 4550 in worship. They did not need to call two two, two full-time pastors. We were clear with them about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they were already spending into their endowment more than was healthy, um, yeah. not for fun projects, but just to survive. Right. And so um, we we were just being practical. We were not moving our family unless they this congregation was going to match our um, our courage. So that's good. That's good. And they so we just told them and we put it and when they decided they wanted to call us they put it uh, we put it in a letter to the congregation asked them to send it to the whole congregation so that we were clear and what we said was um from what we can tell about you um this congregation needs to seriously consider a location and that relocation and that's where we'll lead um and so don't don't vote yes if your heart's not in it love it Love it. Now, all of that, but it still took three years yeah, for us yeah. to get the congregation to move. So yeah. it was still a slow process from my perspective, not mm-hmm. probably from theirs. Right, but. <laughs> right. So one of, the, one of the quotes that really stood out to me in the book, um, and talk through this if you would, you write that our congregation appointed us to lead and we need to lead. So let me add some context from my my own perspective here. Mm-hmm. You know, we both serve in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, or or at least are ordained. I'm not currently serving in that denomination, but we're both mm-hmm. ordained in that denomination, which is a congregational polity, uh, very much 
um, encourages lay leadership, priesthood of all believers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'm intrigued by that quote, quote, how do you balance and how, how did that play out in your, in this context of like, obviously trying to empower lay leadership, but also saying, apparently, I'm, hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth here, but uh, as I see it, like, Hey, God has, God has given us some kind of vision or mission or appointed us to lead. Hopefully that makes sense. Yes, it does. And let me say that that particular quote, God appointed us to lead and we need to lead, actually came from a lay leader who was saying to our board Mm -hmm. at a moment of indecision, so kind of an undercurrent of our story and so in the book is this people-pleasing that we do in congregations to try to keep everybody happy is so paralyzing. It's so paralyzing. And so um, Bill Davis was our property chair at the time, and he knew intimately, and he was one of these guys that could only speak— um, where other people couldn't because he didn't talk all the time, right? So if mm-hmm. he's talking, people are listening. And he says, they put us on this board to lead and we're not leading. We got to, we got to make a decision here. And, mm-hmm. and so um, that was the empowerment of our lay leadership. But we were so frustrated at that point because it had been too long in our minds. We were losing the momentum of a fresh pastorate and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that balance of, of, yes, working with the congregation to try to get them to see a vision that a pastor can sometimes see mm-hmm. is so difficult. And we had fits and starts with it. Yeah. And I would say the the heart of it really for us was in our preaching ministry. So hmm. all of the preaching was related to, like we had a theme for a year. Our theme was fearless. And we preached about healthy fear and unhealthy fear and people in the Bible who overcame fear and all of this. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when we got ready to rename the church, um, we talked for six weeks about name changes in Scripture and and why you would ever consider changing a name and what does that mean when God changes your name. And so to me, the authority that a pastor has has to be grounded in Scripture and theology and prayer life and standing up and saying— and we're disciples of Christ ministers, so we never say, you know, God told right, me, blah, blah, blah. Right, the Lord. <laughs> right. But we do say, you know, I'm in with all my heart, and this is what I'm hearing. And mm-hmm. so hear me say this, and then you come back. And, of course, not everyone agreed. Right. And so then the pastoral work of authority is to love and include, but not allow yourself to be stymied by those who are keeping their feet in the mud. Okay, let me ask this question then, and and I was going to frame this question on knowing what stuff to leave behind, but um, just listening to what your response there, I think part of leaving stuff behind could be, and again, we want to be respectful here, could be leaving people behind who are not on board with the mission. Yes, so we we leave we we leave them behind in the weight of their opinion. So what we're leaving behind is the weight of their opinion. We're not leaving behind the value of them, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I, I talk about uh, one of our Sunday school teachers of our elderly, most elderly Sunday school class would take people to lunch and say, I know you're having a hard time and I love you. And so mm-hmm. let me tell you why I trust that this is the right direction and let right. me hear what you say. And he could do that in a way that we didn't have time or energy to do, you know, as yeah. ministers. Um so there was still love, but, you know, you love your crazy uncle, 
<laughs> but it doesn't mean, you know, that you ask his advice about which person you're going to marry. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a weight that you give to people and so um in their opinions, but you still love the same. That that's the goal anyway. And so we really did not lose people, um, which is a miracle. It mm-hmm. wasn't our goal not to lose people. Right. We, we didn't want to, but, um, right. you know, we talk about the tyranny of the minority in the book yeah. that yeah. if you, if you're just trying to keep people copacetic, that's a recipe for death. And that we, we were already tasting that death and it, yeah. it was just not, we needed a new recipe. That's really, really good stuff there. Let me ask more practically speaking. Um, one of the things I've seen when churches move, for instance, um, there's a Lutheran church in in my part of the world. I think it's Lutheran. You know, they they like closed the church and then they said they wanted to kind of like relaunch. But basically, what happened is they basically took like most of to all their stuff over to the new church and it became like a, a new church with a new name, but really just the old church. A museum to the old church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you avoid that? Because I've seen it happen. Hmm. I, I've been there in those churches. And so um, thankfully, uh, my co-pastor and husband has an endless ability to handle details hmm. um, and patience for it. And so he copiously created a record of every special thing Wow! in our church. And took pictures of it all. Wow. And then asked the ladies who for whom this was their church for the last 70 years to sit down with him and go through it picture by picture. Wow. And think practically about where this would go. Mm-hmm. And it was an act of love, right? It was an, an, an act of care. It was like going through your grandmother's house and instead mm-hmm. of just letting the estate sale people come, you know, taking time to re- recognize what was precious precious and so we did that in part to help people be ready to let go and in the end the main thing we took was this beautiful 1941 stained glass window that had been in our original sanctuary mm-hmm. was and it's now in its third location in our new building but we had to let go a lot of things that were um painful yeah to leave yeah what what a gift um my goodness, like, I feel like I need to meet Joe and just, uh, what patience, yes. my goodness, yes. to sit and do that. Like, that is, um, what a gift to a, to a church and to a community. Um, cause again, I've never had the experience of leading a church through this kind of transition, but even in my own ministerial experience, I can only imagine the amount of, uh, of grief that people are feeling and the, this, the stuckness. So that gift of sitting with people. Just that kind of pastoral care of just sitting with him. Wow. Yes. And the thing is, and he says this, occasionally Joe has his own little voice in the book because mm-hmm. I right. couldn't, I mean, this this was, the whole thing was not about me, but it right. was especially also about my co-pastor and these lay leaders that we lift up. Um, but he says, you know, these, these folks realize that we would have left all that behind one way or another. Hmm. And it was so much more hopeful to leave it behind because we were going somewhere new together yeah. and intentionally taking what we wanted into the future rather than just staying on the boat while it sunk. Yeah, yeah. So I think what's interesting about this whole dynamic of moving, changing physical locations is that it happened, or I don't know if I have the timing quite right, but it kind of happened like 
right at the beginning of the pandemic or during this whole during this whole kind of time of 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 craziness in Bonkersville. And you know, I, it is almost like interesting how like did these things two things kind of coalescing provide I hate to use the word opportunity because we know it's you know obviously like uh millions of people have died, millions of people have been um adversely affected from the sickness and the illness. Um, but it's, it, am I incorrect in reading that it almost gave you, you kind of took an opportunity of the crisis, so to speak. Is that fair? Yes. Of course, we couldn't have anticipated that right. a pandemic was on its way. Um, although people did try to tell us, but we weren't, we weren't thinking, you know, that a pandemic was on its way. Right. Um, we, what we were thinking is this church is worth a future. Mm-hmm. This is a witness that is missing in this area, and we're, what we're seeing is all the other mainline congregations in our area. There were five Disciples of Christ churches when we moved here in 2014. By 2017, there were two. Wow. Wow. So we, you can see the tsunami coming, mm-hmm. um, and so we knew this— this part of the body of Christ, we want this area to have it. We want this area to to experience a, a more inclusive table, uh, you know, a, a, a thinking Christianity, you know, all these ways we describe what's special about our part of the body of Christ. And so right. um, that's what we knew. We didn't know a pandemic was coming. Mm. Um, and we knew that the chances for this church were still risky if right. we relaunched and renamed and relocated. But we knew the chances were better than staying where we were. And what the what the pandemic showed us is that the flexibility that we learned through relocating and meeting for 15 months in a elementary school cafeteria, mm-hmm. we now had that as a part of our DNA, that we could be flexible, yeah. that we could meet yeah. in other places, that we could have dinner, we could have church at a dinner restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, that we could um, we could do all, we could have Bible study in the grocery store, things we had done just to just to get out of our box and get some fresh air in, uh, let the spirit move. So because we did all that, we were able to meet in our parking lot for 59 Sundays and watch our church grow during the pandemic. Yeah. That's a fabulous, that's a fabulous story. Um, So you've been talking about this, hinting at it multiple times here. So I want to dive into it. (laughs) Naming or renaming the church. Uh, so let me introduce this by saying, like, um, I kind of like laugh about like in in the history of like <laughs> last thirty years in in America, like at least as I see it, like uh, like the trendy thing now is to name a church like a dot church, um, like yeah. maybe in the early two thousands it was like Journey or Mosaic, um, mm-hmm, like in the nineties mm-hmm. it was like Fellowship or Chapel mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, anyway, so so I, I put something like on the like the clergy Facebook group like. Hey, what would you rename your church if you couldn't call it like First or Bethany or Table? Yeah, yeah. And frankly, they're all like <laughs> terrible names, um, suggestions. So I was like, oh, a Connections Christian Church, like that's a good name. So talk about like, a, how did you break through that inertia of like, this isn't disciply sounding enough, or you know, we're first whatever. Like, talk through again that process of like, because. Um, let me see if I can find it in the book here. You had something about saying like this, this name of this church has to communicate who we are. And then like has to say something 
not no, not to us, I think, but like to our potential people who are going to come, right? I'm trying to find that in the book. Right. So we on page 41, we had um, some categories. Yeah. It has, has to reflect the heart of our church, has right. to be easy to understand for an outsider, has to be a unique name for our area, has to start a conversation and be memorable. Okay. Say those all again. <laughs> yeah. Those are so, great. And a name needs to reflect the heart of our church. It needs to be easy to understand for an outsider. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a unique name, not like other churches for right. our area. It needs to start a conversation and be memorable. Yeah. So we put those categories and we went through multiple processes of all of this. Um, you know, but those were our categories to different groups that we that we worked with to try to get to a name. And it was very difficult, lots of inertia, but it was Easier because we're there are nine first something churches in our town, oh, wow. not to mention all the other towns yeah, that yeah. are in, around. And so, um, it, I had change fatigue by the time we got to the name change because wow. we were already voted on the relocation mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I called Rick Morse, who's a, a amazing leader in the Disciples of Christ churches for new churches, and I said, I can't make them change the name. I just, I can't, I can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you don't change the name, all of the newness that you are about to anticipate will be lost. Wow. And, and so you, you got to think about changing the name. And I'm like, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was, I mean, this happened in spite of me, honestly, that hmm. we changed the name. Um, so... But first was – and the church that eventually bought our building, they had become known as First Odessa. Yeah. To That's heck with all the other right. first churches, right? right. So um, not an ecumenical bone in that body. So mm-hmm. we, we had lost the ability to call ourselves first in my yeah. – you know. That's it. And for people to know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is first is racist. First is the first white church that showed up in the community. Oh. Bottom line. Sure. And so so that's what first means, mm-hmm. is that you were the first white church of that denomination. Well, that's not a heritage we want to carry forward. Um, and then we needed a name that said who we were. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that the last shall be first, not that the first shall be first. So what are we doing calling ourselves yeah. first as representatives of the gospel? So the name really did not make any sense anymore. Maybe it did 111 mm-hmm. years ago, but it did right. not make any sense. So, But it was hard finding a new name, and the process was tedious. And I write about it in the book. We had... Every group we talked to had a different front runner, and it was like, oh, again, we're not going to be able to make everybody happy, and mm-hmm. you know. Um, but when we looked at the list, one name was in all of the top. It wasn't at the top, but it was yeah. in all of the top three yeah. or four names, and it was connection. Hmm. And connection to us spoke about who right. we were wanting to be, and right. our 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 tagline is connecting you to Christ and community. Yeah. Um, and it found we found out later that connection was part of what the Barton Stone movement was called, the mm-hmm. Christian Connection, yeah. which is more honored in the UCC, United Church of Christ, um, part of our, our Christian family. But right. Christian Connection was not new. It was old being made new. And that, that was the final uh, cherry on top for that name. Yeah. That's great. So this came – this kind of came like – Towards the back end of the transitional process, is that fair? Right. 
Okay. It was which, the last thing we did was change our name and our logo. Yeah, which I think is, again, I want to emphasize because I think during these transitional periods, the first thing can be like, oh, what are we going to call ourselves? What's the name going to look like? What's And if I'm hearing you all right, you kind of obviously did the work to like figure out who are we going to be, where are we going to be about, that sort of thing. Yes. The cart was not before the horse right, on that. We right. had done our work. So we knew what our heart was beating for the community about. Yeah. yeah. Now, related to this, for a name, I think is a good logo. And again, mainline pastors, mainline churches don't like talking about branding. Um, I have some past episodes on branding um, I'd recommend uh, because it doesn't have to be slimy and, and gross. Um, but talk about the importance. I mean, you use the word tagline there, which I, again, I think it's great to tell people real quick who you are, what you're about. Yeah. Uh, talk about you know the importance of, of your logo and, and what that is seeking to communicate. Well, one, one of the leader's voices that I lift up is Sarah Grove in the book. And um, at the end of every chapter, there's there's just a paragraph or two that one of our leaders wrote. I mm-hmm. really wanted to lift up their voices. And she's this amazing children's Sunday school teacher. Um, and she was so upset that we wanted to not use the red chalice for the for the denomination as our primary logo. Right, right. Um, and she writes about that in the book. Um, and... I appreciated that because being a part of a denomination is very important to who we are. We are not a startup church that has no ties right. and no cares to be connected with other churches. That's not at all who we are. Yet that red chalice is, for so many reasons, mm-hmm. not the thing that represents our church. People don't move to Odessa looking for Disciples of Christ right. Church. It's just that doesn't exist. So. We needed something that honored the past, um, but brought us into the future. And so the chalice is still on our website. You know, it's we're still the Disciples of Christ Church. We make pains to let people know that. We give that brochure to our new guests. We orient our new members to that and all of that. However, we had a wonderful graphic designer who's been a lifelong member of this church, and she, is, she recreated something for us that just, to us— um, honors a, a fresh a fresh look at who we are and and that communicates something about um, who we are to the community. Yeah. And we even have colors with that and that sounds so unimportant. Right. But this beautiful green and blue are our colors yeah. and we use it all the time and like when you're getting a text from a church member it'll be a green heart and a blue heart, you know, <laughs> because it means wow. we're connection. Wow. It's just it's a way of communicating um, belonging that leaves access for others to belong. Yeah, I love it. Um, you know, I, I was introduced to what we'd call what brand guidelines, you know, a few years ago. I'm like, more churches need to do this because it, it really helps you communicate, again, who you are, what you're about in a consistent way. Um, and I know, I know there's many folks who are lifelong disciples. I don't know. You and I are, are in similar boats. I didn't grow up a disciple. Um, I know for our for our ecumenical friends, probably who find themselves in similar boats, really attached um, strong feelings about denominations and logos. But I imagine you'd agree with me on this. Like people, most people in our communities, wherever you're listening, they probably have no idea who the disciples of Christ are, right? Um, I mean. If someone knows like who if someone knows who the Peace USA is, if someone knows who the 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 ecumenical or the Episcopals are, like that's 
that's surprising, right? So they know that they want a church like this. Uh-huh. They know that if there were a church where I was welcomed genuinely and authentically and invited to speak or not speak, to to be convicted or not be convicted, to grow on my own, but also alongside others. If there were a church like that, I would like to go to it, yeah. they might say. But they don't know what to call that church. Mm-hmm. And what we find with our people new to us, new to Christianity or new to um, being a part of a Disciples of Christ church, is they say, where has this been on my life, <laughs> right? They're yeah. delighted. Yeah. They're excited to explore the disciples.org website and all this kind of stuff. And we are thrilled to connect them with the church they've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. It's just a it, it's marketing for lack yeah. of a better word. It's yeah. it's evangelism. Yeah. And that's that we need. That's what I I want to emphasize and I'm hearing what you're saying too is like I think in church we think of marketing as a bad word and it can be very slimy like trust me uh I've been there. Sure. Um but really I think it's ultimately about like telling your story well and that's what I think so much is church is supposed to be about, right? This commercial that we created, I could not believe how many people came to our hmm. church in response to that commercial, and we've used it a couple of times since just because we can't think of anything better. And uh, and I can send you the YouTube link for that if you want to yeah, so people yeah. can see it. But yeah. um, it's just people coming around the table out in our parking lot um, and being connected to something bigger than themselves, to the Lord, and to people who are going to care about them. Yeah. You know, that was a, this kind of leads into a question that I was going to ask you about, or there's a quotation in the book about, if I remember, um, a key question y'all ask is where does it hurt and how can we help? And again, to me, that speaks into like, I don't want to say marketing, but you're, you're solving a problem for people, which I think when you're solving a problem, like that's going to, you're obviously meeting a need that's going to create demand. Again, I'm using kind of economic terms here, but hopefully it tracks. We were looking and continue to look for places where other churches are not. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we don't want to work with other churches. We just want to make sure there are so many hurts in our community. I could go on and on every community. Yes. But in particular, because of our um, oil and gas, uh, work in this community. Our addiction rates are high. Mm. Our health rates are terrible. Our literacy, illiteracy, most uh, 30% um, of our adults cannot read over a fourth grade level. Wow. I mean, there's just so many hurts and heartaches. And so we just, our goal is to be where other churches are not. And that's led to our juvenile um uh, offender ministry where we go to the local youth center um, where kids are incarcerated. Um, it's it's led to our work with our adult literacy center, um, our summer lunch feeding program. You know, just things that we want to be where the where the hurt is. Not that we can fix it or solve it, but mm-hmm. we can be present as right. Jesus is present. Yeah, that's great. So the last thing I want to ask you here. Um, and I, I've kind of heard this in different parts of your answers is what I hear is really intentional discipling. And I feel like this kind of undergirds this whole process of change. You know, you talked about preaching, how your preaching was really focused around a vision and, and leading change. You, you know, you talked about how your husband, Joe, like 
I don't know if we traditionally call that discipling, but sitting with people, having conversations. Talk about how important that discipleship was and maybe continues to be throughout this whole process. We inherited, this was already this way, some of the most mature Christian leaders. So we give credit to the pastors and the Holy Spirit who came before us. Yeah. Maturity is is in our elders. It's hmm. in our board chair. And so that's part of the DNA of this church is people who have been at faith a long time. And that doesn't mean having this first year experience over and over again, yeah. but have actually grown in their understanding. And so that is a part of the DNA we can just thank God for, and it's contagious. So to have leaders who are mature begets others because they're teaching Sunday school and that kind of thing. We have an emphasis on being involved in a small group, a Bible study, a Sunday school, mm-hmm. in some kind of small group. And um, over 70% of our morning Sunday morning attendance is doing that. Wow. Um, so it's intentionality is a good word for it. We do a preaching um, emphasis every year. Last year was Fruits of the Spirit. And so we were just about, look, a lot of people are saying a lot of things about what Christianity is. Right. What we're telling you that it is is, and what the Apostle Paul said it is, is, you know, peace, joy, love, faithfulness, self-control. If you're not seeing more of this in your life, it's not about Jesus, hmm. right? And we did a whole year on that. Yeah. This year, it's stories of us, and we're talking about Bible stories mm-hmm. and finding yourself in the story and that the story isn't over until you've responded to it. Fabulous. And so that's our emphasis this whole year. Fabulous. So we we love seeing people grow. And I say we, my husband and I as our co-pastorate, but also our elders, mm-hmm. um, you know, we talk about how people are growing and look at so-and-so and how they're able to do this when last year they were so impatient. And, you know, it's just, it, it is a joy to watch people thrive in Christ. That's great. Uh, so before we take a break here, let me, again, I told you this, told you already last question, but let me ask you one more. So imagine... <laughs> What would you say then to, you know, some of our listeners might be pastors leading churches or or leaders in churches who, again, after the pandemic, really struggling all across the board. Churches are down. Um, finances are hit and miss. Perhaps a, a pastor or church leader who's been thinking for a while, like, boy, something really needs to happen here. Um, what do you say to them? That's- that's why I wrote the book, because I was having conversations with people, um, and eventually I just said, I need to write down our story, not because you can follow this right. formula and it's all going to work out for you, but because I wanted you to have uh, a witness that change can happen mm-hmm. and that leaders can step up to the plate. And I wanted lay leaders to talk to lay leaders. I wanted your board chair to hear my board chair. That's um, good. Your Sunday school teacher to hear my Sunday school teacher because pastors talk to each other right. and that's not helpful sometimes. <laughs> um, our leaders need to talk to each other um, because they're, the gospel is still needed. Therefore, there is still a lot of hope for the church of Jesus Christ and for your congregation. It's a matter of of creativity and courage and asking good questions and having people along the way who will support you on this adventure and love each other through till you can get to the other side. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been fabulous. I really appreciate your 
your thoughts and insights. And that's why I did want to have you on, just to kind of highlight the story. And again, it be an inspiration and encouragement for others and for other churches who might find themselves in similar situations. Uh, let's take a break and uh, we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Reverend Dr. Don Weeks. And Don, again, thank you so much for the conversation. The, this, the book is Breakthrough, Trusting God for Big Change in Your Church. Highly recommended. It's a simple read, but a really encouraging read. So go check it out. Um, I'll have links in the show notes for that. Um, closing questions here, Don, if you're Pope for a day, what does that day look like? <laughs> what do you want to do? If I'm Pope for a day, I want women to be able to be in leadership throughout the church with no barriers because right. of gender. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, come on. Yeah. We're holding half the humanity <laughs> back. What could the church do? Absolutely. Um, a theologian or historical <laughs> Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to cheat on this and mm-hmm. say I would like to meet the general minister and president of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ 25 years from now. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I want to go in the future, and then I want them to tell me, what do you wish we would have done differently now to set you up? That is really interesting. That's really interesting. Not heard <laughs> someone take it that perspective. Um, wish we could dive into that more. Um, yes. What do you think history will remember from our current time and place? I think history will remember if we determine to be a part of the reign of God or the reign of passing uh, political figures and movements. Mm. Writing that down. What are your hopes for the future of Christianity? My hopes are very practical and personal. I have two college students, my son and daughter. And I am hoping that they find churches where they can thrive and churches that are thriving for them and their gifts. And this is my passion right now is uh, I want there to be a church for for our young adults to still be a a part of that is thriving and and reaching people. Yeah. My kids are younger, but I 100% have that same kind of aspiration. Well, this has been a great conversation. Uh, Share with folks how they can connect with you. Sure. So you can find Breakthrough, Trusting God for Big Change in Your Church, all kinds of places. Just Google it. My website is dawn.weeks.org. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the places. All right. Well, Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. Thank you. You are a blessing, and thank you for being a, a little leaven in the loaf of the church and helping us rise. Thank you. Why? Well, let me leave you. I always leave folks with a word of peace. May God's peace be with you. And also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.